0: okay uh first episode of the year and we have nathan with us um beginning of the show is dedication so the guests get to dedicate the show to whatever they
1: feel or want to so
0: nathan thanks for coming Uh, thank you what would you like to dedicate the episode to
1: uh anybody who has ever worked on a distant calling pictures film which would include yourself
0: yes Wait a minute, my show, and are dedicating it to me? To, yes. To, I like it, all right. I like right. circular reference. Circular references. <laughs> um, if anybody didn't know, uh, before we continue on, what is Distant Pictures? Distant, distant, calling, distant calling Pictures,
1: pictures yeah. is is my film production company. I actually started it several years ago under a different moniker. It was called We Grillin' Tonight Films. Okay. And then it was sort of tongue-in-cheek, and and I was – at that time just doing film is sort of a once a year thing with my friends for 48 hour film project. And then about 2014 or so, I decided that I really enjoyed doing filmmaking and I wanted to take it more seriously. And then eventually I changed the name of the company in 2017 to Distant Calling Pictures. And that kind of brings us to where we are now. All right.
0: Back uh, first episode of the year, and with us is uh, filmmaker, independent filmmaker uh, Nathan Block, uh, with Distant Calling Pictures." What does uh, Calling Pictures" what does it reference to? David?
1: It's actually uh, the song lyric for from a band that I really like uh, okay. called Pagan's Mind, and it's a it's part of the chorus of a song called "Entrance to the Stargate," and. I was trying to change the name of the team. Like I alluded to earlier, we went under a different moniker that was a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, and I was trying to think of something a little bit more serious to call it, and I was kind of watching movies and listening to music for inspiration, and, and the lyrics to the chorus kind of jumped out at me like something that you are trying to answer the call to, but you're not really sure how to go about it, you're not really sure... Where the end of the road is, you're not really sure where anything's going to lead. And Distant Calling kind of summed up all of that pretty nicely.
0: I think it's, it's a nice label because it's almost like something far away is calling you to do what you always wanted to do. It's like
1: yes. in the back of your mind almost. That is, Yeah, that is absolutely wrapped up yeah. in it too. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So
0: so I, if, if nobody, I don't think a lot of people know, but if they know, I think... They know you, you understand movies is a very central part of your life, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I've owned, I've actually owned movie theaters since 1998. And so I've been in the industry and the exhibition side for over 25 years. Yeah. And uh, production kind of came later in life for me. I know a lot of people st- who are in that field start out much earlier than, than I do. But I just kind of fell you didn't into it. Till later. Yeah, <laughs> till till much later. It just well, that's just kind of the crazy road that life took me. I had an opportunity to get into theater owning very early, and I took it, and I certainly don't regret anything. I've really enjoyed being a movie theater owner, but at this point, point in time in my life, if I could figure out a way to transition into filmmaking full-time, I would yeah. really love to do that.
0: Yeah, And so it wasn't so much an urgency, but something that you always wanted to do.
1: I've always, yeah, I've always had an eye on film production and I, it's always sure. been an interest. But like I said, life just took me in a different direction in terms yeah. of uh, exhibition and, and obviously owning your own business, especially in the beginning. It's a lot of work. It really takes That's a lot of time. Years, right. Yeah, it takes a lot of time to develop. And like anything else that you build on your own, it, it just takes time. And so I really didn't have time to think about much else. And then the 48 Hour Film Project came along in 2007 and gave me an opportunity to do something that I've always wanted to do without having to take a class or have billions of dollars. And I took it, and I just got it in the blood. And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out a way to transition into it.
0: I think it's refreshing. You didn't really actually go like to film school. You just, like Tarotino, you just went to film.
1: You exactly. Just, you just jumped into it. Exactly. Although, although, let me say this. If I had an opportunity to go to film school and okay. be properly trained, I would jump at it. I really would. I okay. would love, if I could ever find the time, I would love to figure out a way to do that and be educated properly and learn all the tricks of the trade. And yeah. I, I'd love to do that. The The Cohen brothers were, were classically trained and uh, went to film school and, and did that whole thing. And I think that their work has a, ma- a certain maturity that even though Tarantino makes really, really great films, yeah. the styles are so different. And I don't think that you can really discount one style in favor of the other style.
0: No, right. Yeah, I, uh, definitely... I think the Cone brothers are very interested in like having their own genre.
1: They they have single-handedly tried to reinvent just about every genre that they've <laughs> right, <yeah>. that they've <laughs> embarked on whether it's the whether it's the mystery, whether it's the the crime saga, whether it's the the comedy, the stoner comedy, they've just given it their own touch and that's actually what M. Night Shyamalan tried to do in the very beginning, too, with Unbreakable and Sixth Sense and and some of his really early films. He also tried to reinvent things, reinvent genres as he saw them. And And uh, I think the Coen brothers have really more succeeded across the board than almost any other filmmaker that sort of attempted to do that.
0: Well, with yourself, you've done different variety of genres of movies you've done comedies dramas and horror movies and so is that something you wanted to you wanted to do a whole focus on a broad spectrum of different genres or you, oh you, yeah
1: it, i mean filmmaking as an art form is like flexing a muscle and if you only if you only flex your dramatic muscle then that's the only thing you're going to build and if you don't ever do a comedy if you don't ever do a horror movie if you don't ever do something else, then you sort of lose the joy and, and the artistic expression to do something different. And yeah, I think it's pretty obvious for anybody who's familiar with my work that I have a tendency to go dramatic. And comedy really scares me because it's so hard to be funny. I, I don't yeah. think a lot of people really understand how difficult it is to be funny. It is the Whether it's on stage, whether it's an improv comedian, whether it's a stand-up comic, whether it's a filmmaker, it is really tough to be funny. And so I've always been very, very cautious of doing comedy. I think I've only, out of the 35 short films that I've done to this point, I think exactly four of them have been comedies, if I were to sit down and count. But at, at the same time, when you do one, then all of a sudden you go, "Yeah, I could maybe <laughs> do more of these." Especially if you have a successful one. But I think that really any filmmaker should try and branch out and try and do different things. And yeah. and we were talking about Guy Ritchie earlier, and that's I, I will give him credit that he's yeah when we started yeah. yeah he's he's definitely gone in that direction. Obviously, he's known for his violent profane oh, yeah, yeah. gangster sort of like pictures. Special, yeah. But, you know, he just did the live-action Aladdin and he just did the King Arthur movie. So he's trying different things, and that's I think that that's really important for a filmmaker to every once in a while just break out of your shell and do something that you don't normally do. I think that that's important if you're going to advance in the art form.
0: Yeah, I think it's, you make a valid point of that that. You try to break out of your comfort zone and stuff like that. Um, really challenge yourself and see you know not just i want to stick to one thing let's see if I can do something else yeah
1: yeah exactly and i've i've certainly even the, even the comedies that I've made that didn't really work when they were done you still have a total blast making them and filmmaking is just such a joy really no matter what you're doing and i think that when people watch a a horror film or Or a a crime film and it's super serious and people die and they think, oh man, that must have been such a serious thing. And it's like (laughs) when you're on set, it's completely different. You know, you're goofing around, you're joking and everybody's, oh, it'd be so cool if he fell this way and blood came out. I mean, it's, it's such a crazy thing what you're doing on set versus what comes off on screen are they're so rarely yeah. the same and unless yeah. i think about the only thing that you can say that isn't different is when you're really doing a a very very tough intense dramatic film the set the set just crackles with that with yeah. that tension but i mean even after that people goof around and joke around and a set is always a pretty pretty amazing place to yeah. be a part of
0: um, you've written a lot of the movies that you've directed, and as well as some people have written screenplays for you. Do you like to write them, or do you like to read the scripts, or what? How do you select a, who's going to write? Or
1: I've I've never really considered myself a writer per se. Okay. I I think <laughs> pat myself on the back. I I think I'm I think I'm okay at it. I think I'm I'm pretty good at it. There are, there have been some films that I've written that. I'm very proud of how they came out, but I don't I don't consider myself like like Tarantino. I think to a certain degree is better at writing than he is at directing.
0: I would agree with that. I, I yeah, really I do. He, he yeah. really is a
1: he really is a great writer. He's a gifted writer. Now some of some of his stuff in my opinion lately hasn't been as strong as his earlier stuff, but that's not to dispute the fact that he can still write a picture that you want to watch and you want to see how it ends. And I don't really think I have that gift yet. I mean, I think if I were to sit down for a couple of years and do nothing sure. but write, then maybe I could increase my, my ability to write a good screenplay. But every once in a while, I felt like I've had a story that I've really wanted to tell. Okay. And when I feel that way, then I write. And then I write the story, how I want to tell it, and I, and there are people that I trust that I will run the screenplay by, and I'll go, well, what do you think? And they'll say, well, change this and do that and do that, and and sometimes I listen and sometimes I don't. <laughs> but really, what I think I'm I'm better at doing as a filmmaker is if somebody hands me, if somebody hands me a story idea and says, I think this would be a good film. And then I can sit down and look at it and go, oh, well, okay, why don't we do this? And then I develop the screenplay from there. I think I'm much better at doing that. And Peter Peter was an example of that, the film that I just finished very, very recently. It's a horror film. That was actually... Yeah, it's a short horror it was, it was. Yeah, it was a short horror piece. It was a short horror fiction that was given to me by my makeup artist Jada Knudsen, who I've worked with on a number of projects, and she said, What do you think of this? And she handed it to me and it was just amazing. It was wasn't more than two or three pages long. And I looked at her and I said, We're gonna film this. Okay. And I said, Can I turn it into a screenplay? And she said, Yeah. So I went home and I knocked it out in two evenings. I was done. And I sent it over to her and she liked it and it became it became Peter Peter. And I'm super proud of the film. It's really unexpected and and there's a lot of stuff in it that hasn't really been done before which is difficult to do after a hundred years of cinema and and almost approaching 60,000 licensed motion pictures according to the MPAA and that doesn't include all of the little indie films and foreign films of course that are out there so when you're talking about who knows maybe that's a hundred thousand motion pictures that have been made over the last hundred years maybe more uh, that gets that gets difficult to do. So I'm super proud of it, and that was an I That was really an example of just somebody bringing me an idea and the collaborative process. Where the more people that you have in the mix, sometimes the better the the product ends up being, rather than just me sitting down and going, "Okay, I'm going to write this film." And and uh, I'm super proud of Peter Peter. And there's been a couple of other films that that have also developed that way where somebody brought me either a great story idea or a yeah. great script and I said yeah we're gonna make this and it came out sensational so I think that my strengths lie more as a collaborative artist rather than just sort of the lone wolf like a Guy Ritchie or a Tarantino or a, uh, I can't blank it on another name right now but but somebody who just kind of sits down and does everything
0: yeah I being on set with you, and I, and I definitely vouch for that, you're more of a collaborative person. You always ask for other people's input. You know, you always ask, do you want to do another take? You're comfortable with that. And I think that's wonderful that you understand it's not just your movie. that It's everybody's movie that's participating.
1: Well, thanks. I, that's nice to hear because, yeah, it really does take a village to make a movie. <laughs> yes. I, I think that so often when we look at a film, we focus on an actor or we focus on a director or we focus on an actress or we focus on the story that is is being told. But really, a film production has so many moving parts. It does, it really does. And nothing will teach you that more than actually trying to make one. There's so much that is a part of it, whether it's the score, the post-sound design, the editing. And a really good example of how editing can just change your mind of a piece is recently the film that our team finished for, it would have been a Four Points Film Project last year, Forget Me Not. And the script, the way that it was laid out, it was kind of a different film. And when the editor who we had on board to edit it, Connor McCarthy, got a hold of it, he just took it in a direction that I had not envisioned, and I just sat there when we watched the first rough cut, and I was just slack jaw at it, <laughs> and I said, "You have just really made this extra special, even in a way that I didn't see." And I, and I knew that we were making a special film when we made it. It was just so amazing to watch what was happening with the acting and the story, and it was a truly a special film in production. But then. To have Connor take that footage and arrange it in such an amazing way, that was just a film where I have a, I have a favorite part of every movie that I've done. Okay, yeah. And forget me not, it was the editing. It was absolutely hands down the way the film was edited, which made it just truly an amazing piece of work. And I hope that people will, will seek it out, not just because my name is on it, but because of the amazing vision of... Everybody who worked at it, uh, especially the editor, Connor.
0: Editing is tough because it's almost like you don't notice it. If it's good, you don't really notice it very much. Yeah.
1: I don't yeah. think anybody realizes, other than people who are in the art of film production, I don't think anybody realizes how much work and talent it is to edit a picture. It is, and and I continue to gain respect for that particular medium Every single time I do a film because it's just something that it's not just, okay, I'm going to put this cut here. I'm going to put that cut there. I'm going to do this take here. We're going to fade here. We're going to come up there. It's so much more than that. And it and editing really is an art form in and of itself. And there's a saying that goes, a picture is written three times. A picture is written when you write the script. Right, yep. A picture is written again when you shoot it and a picture is written again in post-production. And I cannot say that, I cannot emphasize how true that is. And if you don't believe me, uh, if you've got 20 minutes for some cool stuff, get onto YouTube and type in how Star Wars was saved in the edit. And if you don't believe how important editing is to a film, you watch that 20 minutes on Star Wars and how really had that film not been edited the way it was it would have been a commercial disaster and would we would not have Star Wars the way we know it today probably at all if it hadn't been for George Lucas's wife and the editing team which consisted of two other people of course I'm blanking on their names I think it was Richard Chu um, but I'm probably slaughtering that and I apologize but it was basically three people that edited star wars and saved it completely saved the film watch this video I've, i bet i've watched it half a dozen times i can't get enough of it watch it it's so amazing and it will show you how important editing is to the motion picture process
0: i would uh i would uh, venture um when you're making when you're in production is editing in the back of your mind or you just wanted to shoot it and we'll think about it later
1: well you that it's a very goofy existential answer to that editing is and is not in your head during production because any any director who's in the business will tell you don't cut the picture in your head okay because it almost never comes out that way but at the same time you need to be thinking what is the editor going to need and so sometimes you're going to have to think, well, okay, this part isn't in the script, but you know, we really need to see him walking out the door right now, and we really need an extra wide shot from back here because it's this person's POV, and we really need this because they might need to cut around a scene. So you don't want to sit there and go, well, okay, and the next shot is, so this is what we're going to do. But you really need to be thinking in terms of what's called coverage. You want to have enough coverage of a scene so that the editor has enough good stuff to choose from. And if there's a take that doesn't work or if there's a shot that doesn't work or if something else is needed, you've got footage to fall back on and you don't have to do a reshoot, which never comes out the way you think it was and never matches. So you just need to be very cognizant of that. You don't want to cut a picture in your head, but you want to make sure that you've got good stuff to give to your editing team.
0: Did you ever be always when you made movies you always be behind the camera? Did you ever want to be in front as well?
1: Well, I started out when I was in college I was actually training to be an actor. And oh, okay. so I okay. did a I did a lot of stage work. Okay. In college I was in a number of of different productions and so I kind of thought that that was the way I was going to go and then the one of the last courses that I took from my senior year for my theater arts degree was directing stage direction, and I just I fell in love with it, and, okay. and so that's, all, that's how it started. So that's kind of how it started, and then I ended up ditching the whole thing to run a business. But but the the idea of directing for the stage then all of a sudden became a much more interesting proposition than acting. But I think that anybody who's honest, if they're in, if they're in theater, and if they're in film in whatever capacity it is, I don't think anybody at one point in time or another has thought, "Boy, I would love to be the lead in this play, or I'd love to be the lead in this film." And so I, I've done a little bit of film acting. The okay. the one, the one time where I really decided that okay, I'm going to do this was when I wrote Unalienable Right and that was a film that was very 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 personal to me and I I took a huge risk in writing it because it's certainly a lot of unpopular opinion about child rearing and I thought you know what I want to play the lead character okay and the governor and so I wrote the part for myself and I played it and and I told I told my team that's because I didn't want them to get the wrong idea. I didn't want them to think that this is going to be the Nathan show from here on out because it it isn't. It really isn't. It's it's a team effort. It always has been and and I want I don't want there to be any confusion about that. But I really wanted to play that part. I really did. And and I had a specific vision for the piece, for the character. And so I said, okay, I'm going to play this. And then I was asked uh, by a couple of of young filmmakers to be in their piece. I was in Jocelyn Sanchez's piece, uh, Lost and Found, which I also helped her direct.
0: Yeah, she's been a previous guest on
1: here. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. I was in. I was played the father in Lost and Found. And then apparently playing the father is my role because then uh, Sally Ann Hunt cast me as her dad in IRL. Uh, So, and then I was also in another, I was briefly in another piece that was done for a student project at Century College. I was was in that. So I've done a little bit of, of film acting, but again, it's not something that you, I,
0: you really want to do right yeah
1: well I mean it's not it's not that I don't want to do it because i I mean I love it I mean who doesn't who doesn't sure. want to see themselves on the big screen uh it can be terrifying and edifying at the same time but yeah. but at the same time that's I don't feel that that's my calling I'd I'd really like to continue to direct and produce but if somebody comes along and says hey I'd love you to be in this film because I saw you, and, Anil, you were right, and I think you'd be great I mean obviously I'd be flattered and I would probably do it if the part was right but I don't foresee myself as an actor long term I want to continue to develop my my craft as a director and continue to direct better and better films and hopefully that's what I'm doing.
0: Do you think your background with acting helps you being a director?
1: Absolutely absolutely I really all of the training that I received For my theater arts degree and and working as an actor and with actors because that's really what you do as a director. You work with the actors. That's a huge part of your job. And if you don't have an understanding of their process of what they need to do to prepare of, of the work and the effort that they bring to a film set, it's going to be harder for you to connect with them and get the performance that you want. I'm not saying that it can't be done, but it's really more of a collaborative process when you have a, a frame of reference. And yeah. and I do. And now, thanks to uh, some other people, now I've also had some experience uh, acting for the camera. So now not only have I have a background from stage acting, but I've also acted a little bit from the camera. So that helps me to hopefully be a better director and and reach out to actors and and make the best possible film that that we can yeah uh we're gonna take a small break here
0: um and we're back more with nathan block
2: do you read books do you live by small bodies of water surrounded by trees and other wildlife is that geese shit if the answer to any of these questions is yes you have found a home here at the brook reading podcast Each week, I read a book while nestled in my small New Jersey apartment and gaze out the window at a brook. Then I jump online, talk about it, ask for your opinions, and bitch about something for approximately five minutes. If you would like to join this madness, check out the Brook Reading Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Radio Public app. Let's step into some animal feces together. we're back
0: with nathan block uh nathan you're not afraid to be work with movies on serious stuff uh, a lot of your stuff has some serious content is something you are always you know because you have another one called tribulations that work with some serious issues um in the previous movie you mentioned inhaler rights has worked some serious issues is that something that you've you're not afraid of Is something like you're always considered with your movies
1: well no i think that part of being a filmmaker is is finding your voice to be able to speak cinematically about a topic that you're passionate about and if you're not doing that as an artist really it's sort of then we're left with the politicians and the activists and everybody else to tell us what we should and should not be believing in so i think that the arts Always have played a huge, huge role in how we shape our thinking about certain issues, and I would love to be part of that. That yeah. that people would look back at the films that I've made and said, "Well, he took a stand for this. He made a statement about that, and and that was pretty cool." And and I'd I'd love to be I'd love to be remembered as as somebody who made a statement and made films that were uh, that spoke out about things and th- that had some value and some merit to make to make people think. Yeah. And I think that what I've always told my my team when we're going into a project for instance like 48 hour film project or 4 points or Z fest or what have you is I don't like to make comic vignettes. And a lot of times when you go to the screenings for some of these filmmaking competitions that's all you see you see silly little comedy followed by silly little comedy followed by trite silly little comedy and that's just not what i view filmmaking as maybe and i guess the argument could be made that maybe i'm too serious about it but, but can, i yeah. i prefer to make films that that challenge people and that make you think and that hopefully have some merit and some substance and something that you would want to go back and look at. And certainly in another five to 10 years, it would be interesting to see how some of this stuff has held up. Uh, I, I certainly look back at films now, like for instance, Network and what's happening right now with, with the political divisions and the media in this country. And let me tell you something, Network holds up real well, and it that's a 40-year-old film.
0: It, it came out like mid-70s. <laughs> yeah. They, they, tell, they told everybody, this is what's going to happen, and, and they were and, way and, ahead of and time. And they were
1: completely mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, would it be great if, if one of my films held up 40 years from now? Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> that would be awesome. But I think that, to a degree, every filmmaker is responsible to – to tell that story from their perspective whether whether it's on a political issue or on an artistic issue or on a cultural issue even if it's satire even if it's just making fun of something for the sake yeah. of for the sake of dismantling it so that we can deal with it and and that is really the strength of of JoJo Rabbit which is just so incredibly brilliant it makes me kind of mad because it's like i'll never write a film that was as unbelievably brilliant as jojo rabbit
0: and it's it's dreadfully sad oh it's 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 hard sometimes to digest but it's yeah
1: it's an incredible achievement and how you can do that especially with you just say the word nazi and you can quiet a room you, you can have a hundred people in a room and if you say Nazi, all of a sudden everybody will be interested in what you're about to say next and you know <laughs> whether or not they're going to pounce on you or what have you. But the fact that Jojo Rabbit was able to pull that off about probably the most sensitive subject of all time. I don't think you could point to a single other episode in history that has quite as much... Uh, controversy and emotion and feeling and opinion as what happened in World War II and to be able to turn that into a satirical comedy I mean that just as a filmmaker I, I sit and I watch that film and I'm like how on earth did they do it yeah it is just an astonishing achievement so and I'm and I don't mean that everybody has to go that far and you have to make it your own jojo rabbit because obviously that was an incredibly risky proposition it's and very I risky it's
0: very extreme it's very ex- exaggeration yeah
1: well and i can't imagine the pressure on the studio and the and the producers because put putting out that film and if if the response had gone the wrong way yes, I, careers yeah. would have ended You're right plain yeah. and simple and it's all it's all fine and good to talk about a film like that in hindsight but i can only imagine the trepidation that must have have been around the time of that release i think they must have been sweating bullets and so i think that that's a very long rabbit trail see what i did there <laughs> a very long rabbit trail to what i was trying to say but i guess the point of the matter is is that i think any filmmaker worth his or her salt needs to take some risk every now and then and and i've I've certainly yep. tried to do that, yep. and I've tried to lay it out there in terms of, yeah, this is who Nathan is, this is what he thinks, and people are either going to take it or they're not. But it's definitely a very revealing thing, and you have to do a lot of personal work in order to get to that point, point. and I certainly questioned questioned a lot of things when i was making an a right when i was making silver blue and and you have to really be comfortable with your voice and with your art and that that takes a lot of a lot of gumption a lot of a lot of guts
0: when you're making a movie when you're assembling do you assemble cast first do you assemble crew first or is this kind of What's kind of the first kind of nucleus to get it going?
1: I think I've done it a lot of different ways, and okay. maybe some of them were not the right ways. Uh, but traditionally, it, it, what I used to do in the beginning is is if people wanted to work with me, then I tried to find a project that was suitable for them. Okay, and I guess two examples immediately come to mind. The first was Silver Blue, Ellen. Engelson had been a member of the Distant Calling Pictures team for a number of years. And she came up to me and she said, I'm ready for a lead role. I want to be a lead in one of your films. And so I had had an idea for a story kicking around in the back of my mind. And I originally was going to tell it from the point of view of the guy. And as I was, as I was talking to her, I suddenly thought, what if, what if I took this story that I had in my mind and I turned it into the point of view of the wife, of the female character? And so I went home after that conversation with Ellen and I wrote Silver Blue. And I cast her as the lead and, and Kurt Peterson, who is also somebody that I had wanted to work with forever, I had wanted to work with Kurt. And the timing just wasn't right, and so I showed him the script, and he loved it, and he said, "Yeah, I want to be a part of this." And then I, I ended up putting the rest of the cast together, which consisted of Charla Marie Bailey and and uh, Blythe uh, Whaley and and uh, um, I agree if I'm blanking and Melissa Pock. Yeah. Uh, and so I st- started with the cast, and then the story. I I actually brought them into the round table and we sat down with the script that I had made and I asked for everybody's opinion. And there were certain elements of the story that we changed as a result of the collaboration, which actually is something that I really haven't done again. And I, I would really like to, because it was such a cool, it was such a cool experience to have everybody going, well, Hey, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And Really, the original story is is different in many respects from what it ended up with on film because of everybody's collaboration. And then the second example was when Lauren Kincaid came to me and we basically had the same conversation. She also wanted to be a lead. And and she and I had had a number of conversations about uh, sobriety, and she was she was sober. And I had wanted to, to make a piece about, about alcoholism, but I didn't quite know how to go about it. And so I wrote the skeleton for the story, and then she helped me put the meat on the bones, and we came up with Glass Bottom, which is actually my longest film to date. It's, it's just shy of 25 minutes, which is you know a third of the way to a feature, and we... <laughs> Had I had I had more money, we probably could have developed it into a feature because there was so much that we had to to work with. But um, I'm incredibly proud of Glass Bottom and the the festival that we entered it into. Uh, she walked away with a Best Actress award, which Wonderful. I was very happy about. She yes. was she was so deserving of it. And then we we also won jointly. We won Best Screenplay together, which was just really a, a victory for the two of us. I I felt and. I'm immensely proud of the film, and so th- those are two examples of where I, I started with a cast, yeah. which is not normally, obviously, how a film is done. It normally starts with a story or a script, and and goes from there. And I've certainly, I've certainly done that, yeah. and started with an idea and then developed it into into a film the traditional way. But then the number of forty eight hour film projects that I've done where. You don't really start with any of that. You start with control elements. You start with a prop and a genre and a character name and an occupation and a line of dialogue. And from there, you build a story. And that is a crazy way to make a film because you're basically making it backwards. Sounds like it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. And you got to get all your locations done in advance and then you have to cast maybe one or two people ahead of time and it's a very strange process, but it's also really a very, very useful tool to sort of deconstruct filmmaking in a way that you would you would never you would never do that. I mean, if, if somebody came up to you and handed you a million dollars to make a motion picture, you would never ever ever do it that way. You would never start with everything and do the script last. It would just never happen. So to do these these forty-eight hour film projects and other projects that are like them of similar ilk is a great way again to flex that filmmaking muscle and you kind of go on the spot there. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah. Think on the spot, but also be able to come up with something worthwhile when you're doing something so completely untraditional in terms of the process is very useful and uh, that really has taught me so much about making films that 48-hour film project if that had not come along i doubt very much that we'd be talking right now that's that's god's honest truth really? oh yeah i that really that really put the love of film production in into Even my blood. And that. yeah, just being a part of that. And then when I was able to take, brave enough to take my first step to do it on my own, apart from any competition, that's, that's a pretty cool, liberating well, feeling yeah, to do that. Add,
0: yeah, because I think it's the most hard, difficult thing to do and come out successful. You kind of get a little more confident that you're able to do it.
1: Yeah, and that's, and I think that that's really the the biggest thing that stops a lot of artists from doing films or really anything is lack of lack of confidence. And really, all I can say to you is just do it. If you want to make a film, do it. If you want to make write a song, do it. If you want to do a play, a musical, whatever, just do it. And don't expect it to be
0: the greatest thing the ever. Titanic
1: yeah. on your first try, uh, Godfather on your first try. No. It, don't expect it to be any of that, but just consider it a part of the learning process that you're eventually going to get better. I mean, I, I'm really proud of all my films and I, that's probably a cliche, but even the ones in the very beginning, I'm still proud of, but, but the compared to the stuff that I'm doing now, they really were not very good. Technically they don't stand up and there were a lot of mistakes that were made that were mainly mine. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's like my earlier stuff, but it's still, it's really cool too to be able to look back and go, okay, so that's where I started and here's where I am now. That's an incredibly liberating feeling for um, yeah. any artist. yeah, And, and especially for a filmmaker, I mean, it's sort of, and you could compare it to, to somebody who really gets into like working out and bodybuilding to have your before and after pictures it's like yeah well this is what I look like when I started out and and now this is what what I look like and I've got 48 inch biceps and whatever I'm gonna (laughs) go compete in Mr. Universe And, and I think for for filmmaking that analogy is directly translatable you can look at your earlier films and go well, okay, this is a snippet of what was to come, and the rest of it is is just bunk. I should have done it a different way, and then you look at your stuff now and go, "Yeah, I've really, I've really progressed. I've, I'm making better films, and my stories are better, and this, that, and the other thing." And it's, I, I'll be curious to see how my stuff looks in another ten years, like I was saying earlier, and and look at the stuff that hopefully, if I'm still able to do it. it 10 years down the road and see what it looks like then and hopefully hopefully it is better and longer and hopefully it's features instead of shorts and it's Good. all a part of the process.
0: Um I want to get into a movie that you just kind of I think a couple months ago it wrapped up uh, tribulations. Yes, um, I I don't know if you are you guys in post production with that or.
1: Oh yes, we are, <laughs> we are uh, scrambling because the film is due in less than a week. So. <laughs> well, thanks for coming, stopping
0: <laughs> in for a few moments. Uh, so you are, you are you already got it filmed and everything. Yeah, and if if you can just share with us what the story is about, if they if you can.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm super proud of the story and it's Wesley called, uh, Wesley, Wesley I get the title right. Uh yeah, tribulations. Yeah. Wesley Johnson of West Effect Entertainment. He and I had been looking for a story to collaborate on and we were we were talking and the the whole immigration thing that's happening in this country right now and the wall building and all of this all of this stuff that is happening right now that is just beyond tragic. And we were sort of thinking about, well, what's a story here that hasn't really been told yet? And because anybody, now I want to rephrase that, but it would be, it would be a very easy film to do where you could show the conditions that these people have to endure and are forced to, to endure and make a case that that is incorrect, that, that is a wrong way to approach this issue. And there would be virtually no way that 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 would not be the message of the film, that we need to change our our policy on it. So but that is that has been done and it's been done a number of times. So we thought, well what what's the angle here that we need to tell a story about this that has not really been touched on. And so we were talking about how it seems like, and I know that this isn't true for everybody. I don't, I'm not trying to label anybody, but it just seems like, and as a, as a person of faith, it really bothers me. It seems like the Christian community, the religious right, whatever you want to call them always seems to be on the wrong side of some of these issues that when you look at what christ taught whether or not you're christian or not if you just look at what what christ taught when he was on earth it just does not line up with a lot of these policies that christian voters seem to align themselves with and that really 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 troubles me and and wesley johnson felt the same way And so we sat down and we wrote Tribulations, which is about a Christian senator who is unable to reconcile what his party is telling him to do when it comes to immigration. And I wanted to make it, I wanted to make it timeless. So we're we're not talking about Republicans or Democrats in the film. We don't mention Trump. We we just, I I wanted to stay away from all that because I don't necessarily think that this is a problem that is going to go away if Trump ever leaves you, office. It's
0: almost like uh, you want to project that this is always kind of be a struggle. Yeah, I it's don't... not just a timestamp.
1: Yeah, I didn't want it to be, well, this is something that happened in 2016, 2017, 2018, and now we don't have to think about it anymore. And so I, I kept all those all of those things that we're very, very familiar with out of the picture. I kept all of those names and and parties and, and all of that. I kept them all out. And we just wrote a story about uh, a, a senator of faith who just can't reconcile these things with what he believes Christ taught, with, with, with what he believes the church teaches. And uh, we ended up with I think we have a really beautiful troubling thought provoking film and and I'm I'm extremely proud of it. I've I've already seen a rough cut of it. It looks it looks great. I can't wait for people to see it. It's going to be debuted as a part of Z Fest, which will be the first weekend in March. They haven't announced any Uh, They haven't announced when all the films will be playing yet. I'm sure that that will be forthcoming. And I hope that people will see it. And I hope that whether you agree with it, whether you disagree with it, I hope that it just makes people think. And really, I hope that it makes people of faith think, because that's who we were aiming it at. We weren't really aiming it at We weren't taking a shotgun approach to it where it's like, hey, this is wrong. We need to all band together because that if you're not on that side already, (laughs) I don't really know what good my seven minute film is going to do for you. Honestly, I I that's that's probably going to piss some people off to to hear me say that, but I don't care. It's like if you don't if you're not on that side of the coin already that you don't that you are for locking human beings up in cages without no. proper facilities and food and clothing and blankets. I mean, there's a disconnect there that I don't think all the films in the world are going to help you out. But what what mattered to me and what mattered to Wes is the people who are supposedly called by a higher calling and answer to a higher power and all these things that, that I and, and other people of faith profess is why aren't we doing something about this? And so, well, this is what I've tried to do. This is what I've tried to do. I've tried to sound the wake up call. I've tried to ring the alarm clock and hopefully, hopefully the film does that. I hope that it really provokes people to think and challenge their notions about where faith and political parties need to uh, diverge and where, where faith and politics need to be two separate things. And just because a party may happen to get a couple of things right according to what you believe doesn't mean that they're getting everything right according to what you believe. And I I find it troubling that a lot of people of faith fall in lockstep with right. with a certain viewpoint of a certain political party, and that that bothers me. And I wanted this film to speak out about that. And uh, I guess what I what I will say is that it probably was a little bit too big of a task. of a task for a seven minute film and there is a there is a much longer cut that will be forthcoming after the Z Fest competition which hopefully will be a little bit more uh, a more full realization of the vision that Wes and I had when we wrote the film and so i guess try try, try not to judge it by what you're going to see at Z Fest although i i really think the Z Fest cut will be powerful but there will be a it's much always. longer much yeah. fuller vision that will be unveiled at some point in time and 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 i'm excited for it i really am i think that we did something that nobody has really done yet from on this topic from this point of view and i'm excited to get it out
0: no i i, I think what i'm emphasizing is not a political movie but it's more of a human element to
1: this that is absolutely yeah. true and and yeah it's really more of just
0: this is not a campaign movie this is more a how do you it's
1: economy. a humanitarian piece right. it's just That's doing right. the right thing yeah. it has it has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with borders it has nothing to do with with what country you're from what country where what country you want to be in what your political affiliation is it just has to do with with treating people the way that they should be treated and that that shouldn't be a that, sh- that should be a bipartisan thing that shouldn't be one <laughs> one party yeah, yeah think, one think. party gets it right and the other gets it wrong I mean that's that's Ridiculous. troubling yeah very- when when it comes down to that then we we've got bigger problems than than a deficit that's out of control and and some of these other things that we're so focused on we've we've got real trouble if that's the way that we're looking at. The way we're handling these these types of problems.
0: I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, Nathan, thank you for coming on, being the first guest of the season. Thank
1: you for having me. It's been a load of fun. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Before we go,
0: how can anybody, if they wanted to see any of your movies previously, how could they find them?
1: Well, we have. There's two ways that you can do that. We are on YouTube. If you type in "Distant Calling Pictures," three words. You'll see the channel. It's got a little satellite logo. Okay, we'll and, put the link on uh, there. Uh, yep, that'd okay. be great. And then uh, then we have a, a Facebook page also. Distant calling pictures. It's the same thing. There's a number of there's a number of films on both mediums. Not only Facebook, but of course YouTube. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit behind the times. We don't have a website. Uh, hopefully, point, at oh, some point in time, we will. Best, yeah. But otherwise, uh, YouTube and Facebook uh, reach out, and and certainly uh, all of the all of the mail that comes through the Facebook page, uh, distant calling pictures Facebook page, comes to me. So certainly, feel free to reach out. Uh, whether you like the film, whether you hated the film, I'll answer everything. <laughs> it's always nice to hear <laughs> at least you hear get a feedback. Reaction, right? Well, yeah, it's yeah. it's I make films to be seen, not not just to sit out there in cyberspace and, and take up take up storage space. So uh, <laughs> if you think I'm doing great, let me know. If you think I need help, let me know. Great. Uh, Andy Warhol
0: said, as long as I got a reaction out of you, that's all I wanted. Yeah,
1: Yeah, You're and man. boy, did he ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Nathan, thank you. Um, of course, you'll be the first one of the year to say it's not over to the guest says it's over. Thank
1: you so much. It's over. <laughs>